0: Hi, everyone. Before we get to our show today, I wanted to give you a very exciting announcement about Path 11 TV. This is a new network that Mike and I created through Path 11 Productions. And today I am going to give you an exclusive code. You won't be able to find it anywhere else. It's if you listen to this podcast. Um, I'm going to give you a code for 25% off your monthly membership of Path 11 TV for your first three months. Um, So you're basically going to get that membership for 7 7 dollars a month instead of $999 a month, and Path 11 TV is actually active right now. Um, It's a little bit of a secret. We kind of have it behind uh, closed doors here, but if you go to path11tv.com, you will see that you can subscribe to our network. We are adding um, footage uh, constantly and regularly. We are going to be launching this more publicly on, guess the date, November 11th. 11 11 2020, around 11 a.m., we are inviting some very special guests who will be uh, helping us to launch the path 11 TV on that day. So stay tuned for that. And um, we have a lot of content there. Right now, we have over 75 hours of exclusive footage. We have stuff on UFOs, consciousness, healing. I mean, you name it, it is there. I think you guys are going to love it. So, are you ready for the code? Get your pen and paper down. This is only for people who listen to this podcast. And uh, the code is podcast25. Again, that gives you 25% off of your monthly membership, providing you three months of free viewing. So go ahead and head over to Eleven tv.com, put in your code podcast25, and get yourself started. If you're not sure if you want to do that yet, I forgot to mention we also have a three free day trial. So just sign up anyway. Um, sign up if we have other deals or you know other contents going on, you'll probably hear about it if we follow that up with a newsletter. But um, you can try it for three days for free. And then if you like what you see and you don't get a chance to watch it all, which you won't be able to in three days, go ahead and put in podcast25 25 for 25. Five percent off your monthly membership again giving you three months of free viewing so those three free days will turn into three months all right guys and uh, that's all i have for you today and let's get to our show hi and thanks for tuning in to the path 11 podcast i am your host april hannah Hi, everyone. I'm excited about our podcast today. I'm actually bringing a guest back rather quickly. Uh, He had two books, and I read the second one, not the first one, went back, read the first one, loved it, held a book club about it, and uh, he actually joined us for a book club. So it was really awesome. Uh, I'm inviting back Mark Gober. He was episode 265, and I read uh, An End to Upside Down Living that he came out with in 2020. But the book that we're going to talk about today is the end to upside down thinking. And that came out in 2018. So for those of you who don't know, I have actually created during this global pandemic, a spiritual self-help book club. And I decided to try to use the authors that I interview through Path 11 podcast to come on and do a short Q&A for about a half an hour. I run these groups through Zoom on Monday nights, Eastern time, six to 730. And if you are interested right now, the link's to the book club can be found at my personal website, Hannah's healing wellness studio.com. But we've also posted the events on our path 11 Facebook page. So if you would like to join me, we make it very interactive. I like to give homework. So it's not just like we are doing, um, reading this book and getting together to talk we're actually taking what the author is recommending and educating us about to try to live better lives and that's exactly what we did with mark's book and it was so cool we had so much fun we did some remote viewing and some psychic um, phenomenon stuff that i'm going to talk to you guys about so without any further ado uh, mark welcome to the path 11 podcast welcome back
1: thank you for having me back
0: Yeah. So as you can tell, I'm a huge fan, huge fan, love your books. Um, You know, the people in the book club just absolutely love the fact that you took time to come on and answer their questions. Uh, It really gave this really nice personal experience for the reader to connect with the author. And I just thought, you know, what a creative idea. And it actually came to me, I had told you on the book club after I read An End to Upside Down Living. And I just really took your approach. I really loved when you said, I just try to live in a very open way in life and really trusting this one mind, surrendering. And really, every day now, I've been reminding myself since I read your book, I am not as smart as the infinite intelligence. So give it up, April. Stop trying to control everything. and. I just had like a download of so much like creativity and ideas, and uh, things had shifted right after that book. Love had come into my life. I ended up moving. Um, a whole new office uh, for my private practice has opened up. And I just sat back and I used those tools in your book, where I was in the state of surrender, and really just kind of following the path, making decisions, you know, I remember we were joking. And I said, Well, you know, did you actually plan this? Or did you just quit your job? And, you know, listen to this one mind, but you're like, No, there was some planning involved. So there's been a little bit of planning involved, but I've really released so much resistance. And I really have you to thank for it. Um, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of, of your books and they are wonderful and they changed my life. So thank you.
1: Wow. I'm so happy to hear that. And I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying because I've been going through the same journey and trying to uh, let go of conditioning that wants to control everything and that thinks that it knows what's best.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, for those uh, people who have not listened or watched episode 265, um, Mark's, both of Mark's books came across my desk and i Usually I always read the author's books and I was like, okay, I'm going to get through both of these. And I started on the 2020 book "An end to upside down living. And I was like, oh no, this is a whole podcast in itself. I am not going to try and cram this guy's books, two of them into one episode. So Mm -hmm. that's why we brought you back. Um, So maybe you can kind of give the audience, uh, they're really two different. They're two different books. uh, What the end to upside down thinking is. And um, I'm going to have you preface it explain it but then i have a couple of questions and um a couple of other things that sparked my mind after you were on our q a during the book club so uh, okay. yeah so let the listeners and viewers know a little bit about what inspired the 2018 book
1: okay so that's that's my first book um and it's upside down thinking and i i think it starts with my personal story um, because this whole exploration has been very unexpected um, I, I went to Princeton, was one of the captains of the tennis team there, went into investment banking like many people from Princeton. So I was there in 2008 during the financial crisis, uh, left in 2010 to join a firm called Sherpa Technology Group and um, was there for 10 years, became a partner and advised tech companies, both large and small, on their innovation strategy. So was working with boards of directors, senior management. Technology groups within lots of companies. So I have a very, I would say, like traditional mainstream background, wasn't thinking about consciousness for most of my life. But in 2016, I was listening to podcasts and became exposed to some of the topics that I now study much more in depth. And when I became exposed to those topics, my worldview shifted and it changed my life completely. And all I wanted to do starting at that point was research. So basically, from the August ish of 2016, uh, until around June of 2017, I was just learning nonstop. And the, one of the central themes of what I was learning is that there are there's a realm of experience and existence beyond what we're perceiving with our eyes. And I was learning about all kinds of things that people would call, in the mainstream scientific community, would call paranormal or anomalies, things that don't really fit with the model of reality. And I was learning about very different types of anomalies. So. Like telepathy, mind-to-mind communication, or a near-death experience where a person's having a very enriched form of consciousness at a time when their body is basically dead and their brain is either fully off or or close to it. So there were lots of distinct areas I was looking at, and it kind of hit me in the summer of 2017 that I should summarize my findings in a book. And this, the findings center around one key idea, even though they seem to be a bit different, like telepathy is different than a near-death experience, but it relates to the same central issue, which is consciousness and the brain. And so when I say consciousness, I'm referring to the sense of experiencing life, the the awareness that underlies all of our experience. So anyone listening to this conversation right now has a consciousness that's experiencing the listening of this conversation. Um, and in mainstream science, Uh, There's a big question about how this consciousness arises in the first place and how a brain, the thing in our skull that's made out of matter, could produce consciousness. So my first book is looking at that question, and that's the book that was published in 2018.
0: Yeah, and you really gave great examples. Um, One of the things that we had asked you during the book club was there were some other authors and people who are in the field of consciousness that maybe haven't really written scientific journals, um, per se, or have done studies, but they've collected a lot of data. And so I'd like you to explain for our readers how you really handpicked the material that you brought into your book for specific reasons, really for credibility. And I don't want to say that you were, you know, overly trying to uh, turn the skeptic into a believer, but you really have some good stuff in there that is more reputable, science-based, a lot of experiments, peer re- peer-reviewed journals, and things of that sort. So I'd like you to let um, people know why you specifically chose what you chose for this book.
1: Well, the first book, It Ends Upside Down Thinking, really is a scientific book, even though it has spiritual or metaphysical implications. It's an aggregation of a lot of science suggesting that consciousness isn't just stuck in our skull that it's way beyond and is actually the basis of all reality which is a big deal because we all have consciousness so it has implications for who and what we are and because that's such a big idea and such a a drastic shift from what we're taught I, i mean who am i as a business guy to come in and challenge the paradigm that underlies most of our education and scientific systems in order to do something like that I needed to bring in the most credible science that would appeal to even the most skeptical person, I would hope at least. So what would a very skeptical person, even like me, because when I got into this, I, I, this was the complete opposite of my worldview. I thought life had no meaning. I thought when you die, there's no consciousness, there's no psychic phenomena. That's just, those things are not possible. So in order to convince myself, I had to look at the most credible areas of science. So peer reviewed scientific journals, the U S government's own programs, Um, looking at what medical doctors are saying. And because of that, I I looked for the most credible pieces of evidence and put them into one place. And I think there there are two reasons for doing it the way I did it. Uh, One is I, I wanted to leave the least amount of room possible for a skeptic to try to kind of attack the arguments and not to not to go after the hardcore skeptics but i know there are a lot of people who lean in a skeptical direction but the way their mind works they're going to want to see only the most credible evidence based on their upbringing uh intellectually so for those kinds of people i wanted to just have a book full of really credible stuff Uh, um, so and also i didn't want the book to be overly long i mean it's it's not a short book but if i took every piece of evidence out there in the world, uh, some of it more anecdotal and less credible, it could have been thousands of pages. So I wanted to hone in on the most credible stuff and while I'll still keeping the book to a manageable
0: length. Yeah. I think the feedback that a lot of the people in the book club, the most frequent term used is this book is blowing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) you know, with with all of these different, um, you know, things that you had put in there. And maybe we can talk about, if you want, the the now unclassified uh, military mission of Stargate, because that was really, we really highlighted that in our documentary film, um, a part of the Path Trilogy series. It was our second documentary called The Path Beyond the Physical. We actually had the chance to interview uh, Skip Atwater, who was one of the people involved in the classified mission. And he had gone on to the Monroe Institute as a spy to kind of see what they were doing in their labs and studying consciousness. And Tom Campbell was there and it was just like an amazing story. And it felt so cool to like actually sit with someone that was a part of the Stargate, uh, you know, classified mission. And that was all about like the military trying to figure out what Russia was using in terms of psychic spies. Um, And then Joe McMonigle, who you also mentioned in the book was one of the most accurate remote viewers. Um, His wife, Nancy McMonigle ended up uh, being the executive executive director of the Monroe Institute, you know, and she had the huge connection with Robert Monroe, and all that we've had him on the podcast. So I just love that, you know, both of our works intertwined all of the Mm -hmm. same people. So, uh, but yeah, do you want to talk a little bit more in case people haven't heard of Stargate and uh, give a little more background?
1: Sure. So this is one of many phenomena I cover in the book, it's called remote viewing, which is the ability to perceive something that's far away, both in space and time with the mind. So imagine if with your mind you could see something on the other side of the world or some, or something on another planet or anywhere at any point in time. It sounds like probably the most far-fetched idea possible, but uh, this has been used for national security purposes by the U.S. government and probably governments around the world. As you mentioned, the, the, there was a, a fear uh, that, that the Russian government was doing this, so the U.S. wanted to make sure that it was keeping up and so project stargate was founded in the 70s at the stanford research institute uh russell targ who i interviewed for my own podcast where is my mind was a laser physicist who co-ran the program and uh, what's interesting about psychic phenomena in general is that the evidence to me suggests that we all have them sometimes we have them to a very small degree but what happens is beyond what chance would predict statistically and so sometimes the effects for psychic abilities are really really small So instead of guessing something, maybe we can talk about this later, like with telepathy, instead of guessing something correctly uh, 25% of the time, you might guess correctly 32% of the time. And that 32 versus 25% is very statistically significant. With remote viewing in the US government's program, what we see is something that's way beyond 32% versus 25%. These people are, 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 are guessing accurately to a much greater degree. So it's sort of like with sports. That's the way I look at it. Anyone can dribble a basketball, but not everyone is Michael Jordan or LeBron James. There is a spectrum of abilities, and I think with psychic phenomena, it's the same thing. So the U.S. government, it seems, hired the all-stars of of remote viewing to be able to do remarkable psychic spying uh, phenomena. So one of the examples I like to reference a lot is a, a lost a uh, Russian bomber, it was it was downed in an African jungle and no one knew where this was and it apparently contained important documents and the radar systems couldn't find it. So remote viewers were enlisted to try to locate where this bomber was in, a, in an African jungle and they were able to do that. So with their minds, they were able to locate where this bomber was. And former US President Jimmy Carter has confirmed that r- remote viewers were used to find this. Uh, what's remarkable about this case in particular is that many of the remote remote viewing experiments like the ones done at Princeton and even at Stanford Research Institute, um, they would have, let's just say, um, I'm the the person trying to remote view and April is the experimenter. April goes to some place in New York holding something in a box and I'm here in California and I'm asked to try to to say what's in the box using my mind alone. No one's told me what's in the box. In an experiment like that, someone knows what's in the box april knows what's in the box cuz she's the experimenter whereas with this ex- with this case of the lost bomber in the african jungle no one knew where the where the bomber was and that's right. what makes it very <laughs> remarkable
0: right it's almost like what they would call like a double blind experiment right I and mean, yes. just nobody nobody's aware nobody knows mm-hmm. yeah, and again like people in the book club, mind blown, right? Their minds, they were just like, what, how is that even possible? So um, when I did uh, training with Tom Campbell, it was a meditation immersive experience experience uh, in Tennessee. It's like five days with binaural beat music that he had created and made. And, you know, some of the best binaural beat stuff that he was working on in labs at, you know, with Robert Monroe. And one of the days, we had to do remote viewing, you know, uh, experiences. And they had given us a couple of websites. And on the website, it was just these numbers with a target. And all you could look at was the number. And then we were using the binaural beat. Um, It wasn't even music. It was just the pure binaural beat sounds. And I would hold that number of this target in my mind, and I would just with my intent, send my consciousness there. And I would just start writing down anything that came to mind. And then you would click on the link, and you would open it up, and you would see if you got any hits. And I was really shocked at some of the accuracy. I was like, wow, maybe I I can't believe I really can do this and be, you know, pretty accurate. Um, But there's like instantaneous feedback with those links. So that was one of the examples after we read about remote viewing in your book, I had shared with the book club, Uh, we did it right there on the zoom call, and I shared my screen. I said, okay, we are just going to go to this target location. Everyone got really nervous, right? Super performance anxiety. They were like, "What? well, how do we do it? And I was like, no, you just do it. You just set your intent. Say, I want to send my consciousness to this target. And I said, just trust the first thing that you get. The first thing that comes to mind, whether it's shapes, colors, smells, feelings, emotions, emotions. And the book club participants could not believe that they were so excited. They were getting hits. They're like, oh my gosh, look, it really is. There's a huge building. That's a circle. And I got, you know, a a cityscape or whatever the case may be. So everyone um, had a hit. And all the uh, examples that we did. And the really cool thing about it was, I didn't put anybody into a deep meditation. There was no breathing exercises, (laughs) there was no preparation. I just, and I really did that on purpose just to make them just go and not have to create any sort of routine or pattern to be able to remote view. And they couldn't believe that they could do it. And it was really fun and really exciting.
1: Well, that's really important where people have a personal experience. It makes it real and it sticks. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that happened. And it just shows you that this is an innate ability that we are, we're probably tapping into intuition all the time and just don't really, we can't identify it because it's not something we can touch. And we're not often testing it in that way. So thoughts and impressions are coming into our mind and we're not calibrating where that's coming from or what, how we're being guided. So that's that's a great example. Um, but one other thing I want to mention about the U.S. government's program that blew me away and uh, is that the, some of the documents were declassified, the internal documents, and I was able to include them in my book. And they say things like, direct quote, remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Implications are revolutionary. And they show a science committee that examined it and came away with amazing conclusions. So it's, a, it's a, a world-changing phenomenon because we're, not, we're taught that these sorts of things should not exist. Our scientific paradigm, at least the mainstream paradigm, does not allow for remote viewing. <laughs> and yet yeah. it's a real phenomenon. So something in science needs to change drastically and also something in the way we view ourselves needs to change drastically.
0: Now, do you think, even though that these were declassified, um, that there's still a remote viewing team in the military, or do you think that this was just kind of something that had happened? They did the research, they had the findings, or do you think now it's really there?
1: Well, the history of the program is that it supposedly ended in 1995, and I asked Russell Targ when I interviewed him for my podcast why it ended, because some people claim that it ended because there was no useful information gathered in the in the in this. 20-plus-year program where around $25 million were spent.
0: And and, useless. and rescuing prisoners of war, you know, not valuable at all. But right. okay. so
1: that's the, if you look it up online, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to mention these things because a lot of people don't have time to do the research, and you just might see Wikipedia, and it says, oh, this is shown to be fraudulent. And then it's a big thing to overcome if that's the first fact you see. So what Russell Targ told me is that they shut it down in 1995 because some of their biggest advocates in the CIA were retiring, And also there were religious fundamentalists who thought this was the work of the devil. It was literally the work of the antichrist. So there was a a, a religious opposition. Now to your question, do I think it's still going on? I spoke also with Uri Geller, who is a famous Israeli psychic known for being able to bend spoons, but he was also brought to the US to do remote viewing experiments where he was locked in a shielded room. And some of the declassified documents say that he was able to demonstrate what they would call, quote, paranormal perceptual abilities in a clear and unambiguous manner. So they, they tested him and he was able to do things. And what he told me is that remote viewing is being used all over the world for all sorts of things, including for counter terror. Uh, so in the same way that people didn't know about Project Stargate when it was happening, it took years for it to become declassified. I think we have to assume that that's going on. Um, it would just make sense to be able to use all resources possible and psychic abilities are, are very real.
0: Right. Yeah. And it just seems like in the mainstream still, you know, there's still a lot of uh, conflict within religion and these types of abilities or people that have these types of abilities and um, how it can be uh, viewed at as being very dangerous and very evil.
1: Right and there's there's something to that, which is that we're entering a realm that we don't understand completely. And this gets into interdimensional beings, um which we see with mediumship and ability to communicate with with those who are not in a body. And that's a realm that we don't know much about. So there is a potential danger. I think many spiritual teachers will caution when dealing with the the psychic realm or what some would call astral realms, other dimensions of reality. So I do think there's a balance of using these things responsibly and working with people that know the risks. But at the same time, if it's an innate ability, we have to wonder how we can use these things for good, which I think we can.
0: Right, yeah. And another guest that I had on more recently from Australia, Victoria Cochran, we had her on twice as well. You know, one of the things that she said in her work is that she will always connect to the creator first before doing any type of psychic readings, or, you know, working with people in a healing modality, because she had also talked about how like in the fourth dimension that there are some energies that are just kind of floating around that would like to be able to, you know, come in or use their energy, maybe not for the highest and greatest. So she just says anytime she goes into any sacred space or any sacred work that she just makes sure she is connecting in with her intent to the creator. And then that creates the safety, knowing that the information coming in is pure and of pure love and is safe.
1: Yeah, it's a really important point uh, because there's a tendency, I think, to just become so seduced by the glamour of these phenomena that it's like we could just believe um, anything that comes in, any kind of information. because. It's just so incredible, but that there's this discernment that's necessary, and I want to bring up a point from my second book, An End to Upside Down Living, where I talk about this phenomenon of communicating with other realms, and who knows, possibly fourth dimension or other, uh, who knows what, where people have been manipulated, actually. And I gave an example in An End to Upside Down Living of a woman who was getting information uh, through this process of channeling that was pretty accurate at first. So she was listening to the information that was coming in. And then the, the quote unquote intelligent beings that were communicating with her told her that she should leave her job, which she listened to because they were right about other things and she was following it. And it ended up being a horrible decision. And when she kind of questioned them about what what was going on and why the decision was made, she said they started laughing and told her she should kill herself. So these were apparently manipulative beings and she at the time stopped channeling and, and recalibrated how she did this. So it's just a, an important caution that uh, just like in the physical world, we have people that are that are without question really good and have a positive intent. We know there are people that have negative intent and we see criminals and murderers. Uh, so there is a spectrum even on earth and it seems like that spectrum exists in other dimensions as well.
0: Yeah. So let's go into that example a little bit more, right? Because my mental health background kind of comes in and the skeptic in me comes in a little bit and says, okay, but how do we really know that it's these channeled beings? And what if it was something within her own subconscious or she was unhappy with her job and, you know, somehow was, using this channeling, but really, it was also a part of her free will and choice. And then she leaves the job, realizes it isn't a great decision is hearing these voices, you should kill yourself. And part of it is an emotional, you know, not breakdown, but an emotional experience of, oh, shit, I made the wrong decision. Uh, Maybe this wasn't the great thing. What have I done to my life? It's like, how do you balance the two between it really being something paranormal? Or how do we know that this wasn't just a manifestation of her own fear or her state of consciousness of where she was when she made the decision, as opposed to really, I'm not saying maybe she used these beings as a crutch to say, well they told me to do it but how much does our own consciousness play into you know the channeling and how much of that could have been her own conscious or unconscious experience mixed in with her idea of channeling these beings
1: yeah it's a, it's a really good question and in any individual case we don't know so we don't know how much of it is one's own projection versus some kind of interdimensional communication the reason that i am open to the idea of something beyond the body happening and beyond the individual is that the phenomenon of channeling has been studied scientifically at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And I'm on the board of the Institute. So I know the scientists who runs the studies and she has, Helene Wabe is her name. um, And, and they examine channelers, people that tend to that claim they can bring in the consciousness of many different types of beings from all sorts of dimensions. And she finds many similarities and, has, has examined whether this is some kind of a psychiatric issue, issue, like a multiple personality disorder, and finds that there are there's not an alignment. So something unique is happening with channeling that's not happening with something that's more pathological. And she also finds that when a random number generator machine is placed in the room, so this, this is a machine that produces ones and zeros in a random fashion. So we'd expect to see roughly 50% ones and 50% zeros. And that's what we see in a normal case. And what experimenters do um, with, the, with the channeling experiments is look at what the machine does when the person is channeling. Hmm. So is the is the channeler exerting some kind of effect on the physical world when he or she enters that space? And they find that the machines behave non-randomly, meaning there will be more ones than zeros in a statistically significant manner, which is suggesting that something is actually happening in a metaphysical sense. And also, separately, kind of more on a a conceptual basis, when the experimenters evaluate the types of messages that come in, even though they claim to be from different beings who have different names, and sometimes they're from, like, you know, intergalactic or other dimensions, they have very similar messages for humanity, even Mm -hmm. though the language might be different. So all of these are to suggest, and one more piece of evidence uh, around mediumship, and this is in my first book and into Upside Down Thinking. Mediumship is the ability to communicate with a non-physical being. And the Windbridge Research Institute has done studies with five levels of blinding to suggest that there is a statistical effect. So the way the study will work is the experimenter, Dr. Julie Beischel, she gets on the phone with someone who who may or may not have a deceased relative with a certain name. So let's say the deceased person, is his name is Jack. Dr. Baichel is on the phone with someone who who is either Jack's relative or not Jack's relative. So we don't, that's controlled for, all we know is is there's this deceased person named Jack. And yet the medium is able to bring information about this deceased person, Jack, that is beyond what chance would predict, statistically speaking and there have been a small number of peer reviewed papers to suggest that this information comes back accurately in a way that we can't explain. So all when you put all this together it says that yes it's to me that it's it is scientifically possible that people are communicating with an external form of consciousness that you know it's not mark's consciousness it's not april's it's something beyond that we're tapping into. And that means that when we look at a case like the one i mentioned where the woman made a bad choice is it possible that something was contaminated with their own psyche? Yes. But it's also possible that something else was going on um, where there were beings that had a manipulative intent. And that's I've seen many other cases of this and talk to psychics who give the same warnings. Mm-hmm. So I, I you, you raise a great point that we can't be sure of any case like that. That's not done in a scientific environment. But when you look at all the other factors combined, it suggests that there is a possibility that that's real.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, you know, I'm familiar a bit with IONS, but I'm not totally in depth with all the things that they um, are investigating and, and looking at. But I would be really, really excited to be able to speak to her. What was her name again?
1: Hel- Helene Wabe.
0: Helene Wabe. Can you drop my name to her? Because I would love to hear more about that. And and like you said, you know, what can we, can we really prove it? But the fact that she has, um, you know, enough information to show that that this has happened within the psychological, you know, mind of the channelers is like that that blows my mind a little bit. So, and what's the difference then would you say with mediumship with people who are connecting with deceased loved ones and a channeler that is still connecting with other forms of consciousness? Is it just the intent that the medium wants to speak to a deceased person that was in physical form on earth and the channeler is connecting to people out in the galaxies?
1: I think the distinction is really one of just language that we use, that they're the same thing in my opinion, they're just different parts of the spectrum of communicating with other realms. The term mediumship is used often, I think, in in, in everyday language because there are many people that want to communicate with someone who has passed away. So there's a desire to, to reach out to a medium who can be the intermediary between the deceased loved one and the person still on earth. So it's often used for that purpose. But what I find with mediums is that they're able to communicate with many types of non-physical forms of consciousness. So usually a medium has these other abilities as well. When it gets into channeling, there are more noticeable changes in the the physical person. So sometimes that physical person will almost, it's almost like a possession, like a controlled form of possession where the body movements change, the linguistics and the, 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 the cadence of speaking changes there and i've seen this in person with people that i know i know them as a person and then they channel and they're not the same person when this entity is coming in and speaking through them Mm -hmm. so when some people do mediumship it is a full body trance mediumship or trance channeling and other times it's much more subtle where it's it is the same person and the person sort of just listening or or seeing things in the mind and then relaying that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i've had some experiences i've shared. you know, with my audience on other podcasts, when I was speaking to channelers of, you know, there's certain times in some sessions that I'm having, uh, you know, with clients, and it's more related, maybe around, you know, energetic um, sessions and spirituality, where it's almost as if the conscious brain shuts off. And then I feel like this information is coming down. And my voice has never changed, my body doesn't change, my face doesn't change. It's like still me, but I can really feel a difference of language or messages or words that I wouldn't necessarily use that are coming in to be relayed, um, you know, to clients that I have worked with, and all have been very positive. I've never been fearful of it, or anything like that. But it's almost as if I can't even use the the other part of the human mind. It just, it's almost like it's this blank slate and this information's coming in and I'm kind of pointing here like from the right, because I feel like it comes down from there. Mm. And then it's like, wow, where did some of that wisdom come in that, you know, and it just feels channeled is the best way to describe it. Like, not my ideas, not my words, but it's a message that is coming through for the person that I'm working with.
1: Yeah, that's a common experience. Mm-hmm. It's it's a subtle form of channeling that there, there's a spectrum of of being embodied as yourself versus allowing something that's quote unquote external to fully take over.
0: Right, yeah. So, the other really fun exercise uh, we had a lot of fun with was the telepathy. And you had given an example where, uh, and you can talk more eloquently about it, I don't have it committed to memory, but basically, there were people that had four pictures, mm-hmm. and the sender would choose a specific picture to send. So, April's going to choose this picture, I'm going to send it to Mark through my mind and hope that he guesses it, then I show Mark four pictures. And then he basically has to take a guess at which which picture I had sent to him. So our group, you know, we meet on Mondays, and I told everyone, okay, partnered everybody up, you are going to send an image, a piece of food, whatever it is, it could be a word, I want you to send it to your partner for this whole week. So we had about seven days and whenever they thought about it during the week, they were sending it, sending it, sending it. And then we get back on the zoom call on the Monday and everybody guessed correctly. I think there might've been one. No, there was one, I think one or two people where they kind of got in their mind and they guessed one. They said, Oh, I was going to say that one, but out of of the rest, um, everybody had, had gotten it.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. So there's a, that seems like a statistical effect if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. So that's, you described the study very well. It's called the Gonsfeld experiment. And you'd expect if you did this same study with people over and over again, thousands of times across different experimenters over many decades, the, if there were no effect at all, the percentage guessed correct would approach 25%. Because people should guess correctly one out of four times. Because, how could they receive any information from someone with the mind alone? That shouldn't happen. But when you look at the studies, it's closer to 32%. And in statistical terms, it's massively significant. It's one of what Dr. Dean Radin, who's the chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, calls a six sigma effect. And six sigma means that the odds that this happens by chance is uh, more than a billion to one. So these are massive statistical findings, and we see this effect in in other uh, areas of psychic phenomena too
0: wow more than a billion to one mm-hmm. wow that's that that's remarkable more and than a
1: billion to one against chance against So, meaning against chance. Right. so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in other areas of science that's a slam dunk
0: Right, exactly. So, yeah. So, so in your book, you're really trying to show with a lot of these examples. And, and I think, you know, towards, towards the end, you kind of make a wrap up in the end of the book, but would you say that your conclusion is that consciousness exists outside of the brain?
1: Yes. So the way I, I think about it, is, so I, the, the question I explore in the book is, how does the brain produce consciousness and that's how science has posed the question science magazine has called it the number two question that that's left in all of science all that science knows is that the brain has something to do with the way we experience the world but it doesn't understand how the brain actually creates that sense of experiencing that abstract consciousness that we all have but we can't touch like how does this thing that we can't touch emerge from something that i can touch like my body and the brain is physical too So the body-brain system is physical, consciousness isn't. How does something non-physical come out of a a physical apparatus, like a body? And science doesn't know the answer. My answer to it, after all the research, is we've asked the wrong question. The question, how does the brain create consciousness, assumes that the brain does create it. And what I argue through all these various phenomena is that consciousness exists well beyond the body. Consciousness is actually the basis of all reality. It's not dependent on a body it's the other way around that the body and brain are dependent on consciousness so the analogy that i use is from a philosopher dr bernardo Castrup, who says that we are whirlpools within an infinite stream of consciousness so we have the sense of being an individual localized so we're we feel like we're separate but we're actually interconnected as part of this big stream and sometimes the water from one whirlpool gets into another whirlpool then all of a sudden these psychic phenomena are very possible it's like some of the water from my whirlpool gets into another whirlpool that's a psychic ability because it's all the same water in the same stream and similarly when a whirlpool stops being a whirlpool the water flows into the broader stream that's like saying consciousness transitions into a new state when the physical body dies but the consciousness itself doesn't die and that's where i end up in in my worldview based on all the science it all points in this direction the consciousness is fundamental It's the basic aspect of all reality rather than being something that just comes out of our body. So it's a complete flip in how we think about everything.
0: So are there scientists asking the question that you're asking and saying, like, we're asking the wrong question? And, you know, I love the fact how you you know put it so eloquently that the body and mind are dependent upon consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like, what if they what if that was the question? Do you think the findings would be different?
1: Well I think many of our scientists would be willing to explore these other phenomena that seem extraordinary and in many cases scientists will say well I'm not going to study remote viewing I'm not going to study mediumship and channeling because those things are impossible so why am I going to waste my time on that uh, unfortunately many scientists and many academic institutions have this wall up where basically this stuff is not allowed like you can't you if you want to get tenure at a university don't talk about remote viewing That's very clear in many places, and I know uh, scientists that have left academia, and that's one of the reasons I love the Institute of Noetic Sciences so much, is that it's an independent organization founded by an Apollo 14 astronaut, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, that studies consciousness, and you can do this openly, whereas one scientist, for example, who was at a very prominent U.S. institution was studying precognition, the ability to know or sense the future before it happens. Again, that's something that's not allowed under the conventional paradigm, but if consciousness is The basis of reality existing beyond space and time, precognition is very possible. She was told to take her precognition work off her resume if she wanted to progress at the academic institution. So that's just one example of of what goes on. And I wish there were more scientists studying these topics. And one of the, again, going back to your initial question about why I wrote the book with, uh, where I was cherry picking the best science, is that if we want our institutions to shift, they they're going to have to look at this evidence, I think, at some point. And if they see some of the strongest evidences out out there, they might be more willing to reconsider their perspectives.
0: And not to try to get into any conspiracy theories here, but, I mean, why do you think that is... It's so constricted and so hush hush. You know, to me, it's almost like, well, if the findings are found, then you know, what does that mean? If that starts to get out to the general mass, um, you know, it's kind of like who are fund, who's funding those institutions, and what's the political gain, and what you know, why such drastic measures to the point where like take that off your resume? It's like mm-hmm. what? I don't. I know. think there's
1: a spectrum of possibilities. Like anything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we could come up with the most benign. Uh, explanation versus the most nefarious. And the most benign would be that, like with any paradigm shift in science. So we saw this with germ theory. It was a crazy idea to think that little bacteria or viruses could make someone sick that we can't see. And then the electron microscope came around and we could see things that are a lot smaller and realize that those things exist. Or Galileo and Copernicus, you know, the idea that that Earth is not at the center of the solar system. That was completely blasphemous and now we realize the sun is at the center of the solar system and we had to rethink where earth is and and our place in the universe ideas are always or often met with resistance and this idea is maybe the biggest idea of all because it changes what it means to be a human being it means that we are not a body rather we are a consciousness that's experiencing a body and the body's a vessel for consciousness that's a totally radical shift in our own thinking about ourselves whereas most other paradigm shifts are thinking about our place relative to some kind of external world, which is still a big deal. But this, what we're talking about here, is much more fundamental. So one explanation to your question of why is this information being suppressed because it is being actively suppressed and there's a lot of and it, you can look on some look up some of these scientists on Wikipedia and they're called pseudoscientists and there are lots of debunkers out there that try to shoot down the science. Um, is that there is a just a, a human resistance to something new and having to shift one's worldview and people don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. And then maybe a more nefarious explanation. And I, I I just don't know, cause I don't know how these dynamics work is that this is a very empowering idea. Mm-hmm. That we are all, we are part of the universal consciousness, no matter who you are, whether you are the most powerful person in the world seemingly, or you are, you have a, you know, just a normal job. You're a normal person. You're, you're not running the world. Um, there's a there's a spectrum of perceived power in the world, and then if we look on a more metaphysical level, things become much more equal, and that each person has an ability to exert an, an influence by being part of this infinite consciousness.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> so thank you, Mark, so much for coming on again. If you guys loved what you heard today. Uh, go back, check out episode 265 with Mark. Uh, That's the End to Upside Down Living book. I highly recommend both of them. Um, You can purchase them on Amazon. He also has it on Kindle, on your website too, markgober.com. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. All right. And um, would love for you guys to join us on the Spiritual Self-Help Book Club. Uh, head on over to our Path 11 Facebook page. You can find more information about the books that I specifically choose from our podcast authors. I really like to choose ones that I feel have personally changed my life and uh, Mark's did and Mark you kicked it off. You kicked off the spiritual self-help book club. So uh, thank you. Thank you again so much. And I know I've said this to you before. I know that there's another book in your future and call it whatever telepathy, remote viewing. <laughs> I don't know I'm scanning the future, Mark's future, but I just feel like there's going to be more to come from you. And when that happens, uh, give us a call and we will bring you back.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks for all that you're doing to bring this okay. information out.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's show. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you to listen to our new podcast, Mindbenders. Visit mindbenderspodcast.com to hear my dad's synchronistic story, I hope it'll bend your mind, about Jimi Hendrix, then submit your story if you think it can bend our minds. Also be sure to check out the video replays of the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Conference. We have over 17 hours of amazing presenters exploring the survival of consciousness after death, working with hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, clergy, counselors, and alternative healers to offer a deeper understanding of death and beyond.